Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today, after a longer break, we are glad to have Hans Georg Hopperich with us again to continue his sermon series through the Book of Acts. Studying Acts 21, we will see how an advice was making it difficult for Paul and others to discern God's will and future steps. We will learn about different opinions and what principles Paul followed to make his final decision. But let's go deeper now during this sermon titled People's Advice versus God's Voice. So many smiles and welcoming um, this morning. Uh, it has been a great time, three or even more months um, in South Africa, in Mauritius, uh, in Madagascar, and Botswana. And uh, we could really fill uh, not only a morning with telling all these great stories, but uh, many, many hours of God's provision and guidance and help and uh, fellowship that we enjoyed with so many different kinds of people. It's kind of mind-blowing, really. You know, in our age with uh, 67 to uh, walk through uh, all these different kinds of situation and uh, people and religious background uh, and cultures. It is amazing, to say the least, you know, the kind of things we could experience um, and also, uh, you know, the Lord protected us in so many Ways some things we experience dramatically, and some things we never would know. You know, in eternity, will um, uncover God's protection in His time. We also um, experience some sad things, of course. You know, there we had a, a children's meeting on on a Friday in South Africa in uh, um, uh, in Cape Town, just next to Cape Town, and there was a young. Um, a girl uh, that we heard uh, two weeks or so later that uh, a car ran over and uh, she was killed. You know, and, and then another uh, co-worker, um, a missionary of ours of uh, the mission agency that we are working also. It's not only serving in mission as uh, SIM is Called, but also some other mission agencies that are that we work with. But this lady, um, she was very gifted. She was exactly our age, sixty-seven. She was teaching at Bible school and uh, uh, engaged in God's uh, ministry. And um, uh, she was expected on Sunday morning to attend church service, but she wasn't there. So her brother went to the house, and would you believe it, he found her killed. You know, somebody strangulated that lady and hit her on her head and uh, killed her. Um, you know, you're kind of out of your mind what to think, and um, because, you know, you ask the question, how is that possible? Yes, it is possible. And that's exactly the kind of, of question we want to tackle uh, this morning, 
Thank you, Philip, again for uh, getting the uh, PowerPoint ready. It was only uh, last night when I looked again at the PowerPoint and there was one little thing um, that uh, it came across. Uh, you know, the headline is called Man's Advice versus God's Voice in Acts 21. You know, we've gone through so many chapters in, in uh, Acts, and uh, we are right now at Acts 21. If you want to open your Bible, it's Acts 21, verses 1 to 17. So the first word, um, uh, Philip and myself, I, I only came across last night, you know, uh, it's man. It's like, you know, uh, only man can give uh, advice, but that's not the case. It's, you know, the general term of humans. This is why it's not just man with an E, but man. All humans can give advice. So it's kind of a funny thing that I came across last night. Thank you, Philip, uh, uh, for getting the PowerPoint ready. Uh, we, I'm really privileged because I'm another kind of PowerPoint guy, you know. I'm I think I have, uh, this is not just my gift, so I'm very privileged uh, that uh, Philip is doing that, and uh, he's doing a great job as you, as you see him uh, in my bag. Thank you, um, Philip. What should I do? Did you come across that, that question in your life? What should I do? Now, Margaret uh, always tells the story how we uh, got engaged, uh, and that was her question with such a strange guy, you know, what should I, should I really get to marry him? You know, this, this kind, of, kind of strange guy. And uh, she said, you know, God, if you think this is it, we, I need to see it black on white, you know, in a written form, and, uh, I mean, Margaret will tell you the story afterwards because it would be a, a long story. And we hit the point ever so often in Africa and they, they all broke out in laughter because they could see, you know, God's hand in a mighty full way. And our boss, you know, he's a doctor, Victor is his name, he recalled the story, you know, he just fixed everything in his head and then he was telling our story, how we got engaged to many, many other people. So it was kind of funny to listen to him, you know, how we got uh, engaged and got married uh, eventually. What should I do? That's a big question, isn't it? Now, we have all gasped that prayer usually in the midst of kind of life-changing um, decisions, you know, uh, there is kind of somebody got unemployed uh, and is already uh, approaching 60. So what should he do, you know? What is out there, you know? How should he approach and go back to employment? What sort of job should he get into again? Isn't that a big question, you know? That's a big thing in, in, in life. And uh, whether to accept an out of 
town, job, offer to come from Singapore to Vienna. Congratulations in such a nice city. Uh, I mean, it can't match up to Singapore anyway. I mean, uh, what can match up to Singapore, really? Thank you that you laugh with me. We enjoyed it so much being twice a couple of days in that beautiful city of Singapore. Whether to accept an, you know, an, an out-of-town job or how to school uh, children, which sort of school they should get into, when and, uh, of course, a big question, and I see some young folks are not married yet, when and whom to marry? Isn't that a big question? And as we see all these quandaries like these, we may have even fantasized about um, returning like uh, Margaret um, to the Old Testament uh, when God audibly, you know, we would love, you know, to see something flying right from heaven down to our knees, you know, this is it. This is how we should make our decision. God intervening in a dramatic way. Don't we like it? I like that. Like Joshua, we would stand straight and full uh, straight and tall before our captain as soldiers ready to receive God's orders. Here is what I want you to do. God would say in your wishful fantasy, march around this girl's house and once every day for seven days, yes, go on with the job. On the seventh day, march around in seven times and then pop the question. Her defense is with crumble and you shall have a wife. Yes, sir. We would say in a snappy salute and off we would go to do his will. But God does not speak to us today like he spoke to Joshua. He may. I mean, God is, um, nothing is impossible to him, and he can talk to you whatever in, in whatever way he likes to talk to you. Still, we long for some kind of audible instruction. We want to listen, you know, our ears, they, they want to hear this voice of the living God. Especially in major decisions, we often seek advice from also from human sources, which I feel healthy. You know, if if you know people around you that know you personal, it's good to 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 get advice and to listen what they have to say. Unfortunately, that can really complicate the matter even more. Sometimes. The council, no matter how well intentioned, it's in conflict with God's will. Have you ever come across this? Conflicting advice concerning God's will. In our lives, there are, um, as I think, three um, sources of advice that 
can lead us astray. First, we can receive erroneous advice from our own conscience. You know, we, we get it wrong because our conscience is kind of influenced through many sources uh, in life. Although from childhood on, we remind us to let our conscience be our guide. Conscience is not always trustworthy. For example, when God commanded Moses via the burning bush to deliver enslaved Hebrews from the Egyptians, what did Moses' conscience tell him at first? It reminded him of his failure. You are a failure. Finished. Don't do it. Forty years earlier, when he killed the Egyptian taskmaster. You? Failure. If you come across this in your conscience. Guilt crippled his confidence and he replied in Exodus 3.11, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? And I'm a failure. I can't do it. His conscience was in conflict with God's will straight head on. Second, there is the faulty device, um, advice uh, from, from other people. On the one hand, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. But on the other hand, people can be deceived and their wisdom defective. After the Babylonian exile, God told Nehemiah to rebuild the Jerusalem wall. Nehemiah obeyed, but certain so-called counselors protested. And in Nehemiah 2.19, we read, what is this? thing that you are doing, you know. You give up. And it's too big for you. Are you rebelling against the king? And uh, to Nehemiah 6, 6 to 7, they also questioned his, his motives and advised him wrongly to flee for his life into the Temple until he pulled, you know, somebody's um, mascaras, as we say, being, I don't, you know, and turned it around, you know, it wasn't kind of a nice kind of thing. I don't dare to do that with you, Theo. Uh, I think you would just uh, hit me in my face, you know. If I, but Nehemiah did it, you know, you can read about it. Kind of funny thing he did. Sometimes counsel may sound convincing, but it can be still wrong. And thirdly, we can receive fallible advice from tradition and logic. You know, we are all educated, and there is a logic behind everything. Tradition told Jonah, for instance, you know, Jonah, oh, my favorite prophet, you know, because 
When you read Jonah, you're kind of mucked up in the end because there's really no answer in the end. The, the only book in the Bible that finished with a, with a question. And you're kind of, you don't know where to go, what to say, what sort of answer there is left. You're left with a question. And I think that's very helpful because that's life all about, isn't it? We are oftentimes left with a question. No answer. It's very hard. No answer. What should I do? But God had told Jonah. You know, Jonah was kind of mucked up in his mind. He said, Jews don't associate with pagans like the Ninevites. And logic said it's impossible for this many people to repent before God destroys them. And Jonah became, became the most successful evangelist that I know of. He was more successful than Billy Graham, wasn't he? You know, I don't know how many thousands of people just turned to God. And God told him, arise uh, to, to Jonah, arise, go, go to Nineveh. Tragically for him, he sided with tradition and logic. And what resulted was a whale of problem for poor Jonah, listening to advice can lead to trouble. However, sometimes God does communicate his will to us indeed through consciences, to the advice to others, common sense born out of tradition and logic, but not always. And be aware of it. So how do we know when to follow these sources of advice and when not to do? The Apostle Paul, and this is where we uh, go to uh, the Bible, uh, the Apostle Paul faced a problem like this when on his way to Jerusalem, you remember, you know, he had a very moving goodbye in in Ephesus, you know, they were praying with him, and many, many tears were there. It was heartbreaking, heartbreaking to say the least. And on his way to Jerusalem, he uh, confronted a bulwark of advice that conflicted with what he thought God wanted him to do. There were differing opinions concerning Paul's future. You may recall uh, Acts 20, um, 16. He was hurrying. That's what we read there. He was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So there was a time frame he wanted to be in hurrying. You know, in that time, of course, they didn't have a, a big plane as we had many planes. Um, but this is why he had to hurry. He wanted to be there at a certain time of 
the year, Pentecost, even though the Holy Spirit had warned him, as we read in Acts 20:23, for the trouble that awaited him there, he was determined to press on. So the first set of opinions he had to consider was Paul himself. Why was Paul convinced that he should go to Jerusalem? Paul wanted first to personally deliver the money donated by the churches. And second, he said in Acts 20.22 that he was bound in spirit. There was an inner conviction that he felt he should obey bound in the Spirit. Did you ever had such a deep inner conviction? That's beyond human advice. Bound in the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, preach the gospel to the Jews gathered in the Pentecost celebration. In other words, he sensed the Holy Spirit driving him Onwards. This is why we read in Luke's diary on the trip that there is a sense of urgency. And we read in Acts 21, 1 to 3, and uh, you look at uh, the map. Maybe uh, you can uh, put the map up. And when we came up about that we had parted from them and had set sail, we ran straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing over Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed in Tyre. For there the ship was to unload the cargo. That's what we read in Acts 21. The closer he came to Jerusalem, the more determined he was to witness. You know, this inner conviction just grew and grew stronger. He wants to, wanted to witness Christ there in Jerusalem. But in Tyre, just look at the, the map, he began hearing all kinds of objections, you know. That's what we experience oftentimes, even in our lives. We have an inner conviction. We go and ask people, and they're going straight against this inner conviction. Have you ever experienced something quite like that? Well, here we have it. Beside Paul's conviction, there were the disciples, not just one, but there were quite a few disciples entire. Luke tells us about it um, in Acts 21.4. What happened there after looking, it re we read, after looking up the disciples, it says there, we stayed there seven days, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot to Jerusalem. They kept telling, you know. They just intruded in Paul's conscience. Don't go! We see something happening. 
don't do that. And, you know, you can really imagine, you know, how convincing that was. Because it wasn't just one disciple, many disciples. They kept telling Paul. They repeated and repeated it again. They were not just frivolous opinions, for Luke says they kept telling him, as Dr. Luke writes, through the Spirit. Wow. So it must have been very convincing. Very. Now how do we make our decisions then? For this reason, some of the commentators I read say that the Spirit was using these disciples to tell him not to go and that Paul made a mistake to stubbornly. Stubbornly, you know, this big Apostle Paul being stubborn, you know, wow. Stubbornly going to Jerusalem anyway. More likely, the Spirit was merely predicting what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem, but the disciples were misinterpreting these predictions as prohibitions. Perhaps Luke's statement is condensed a way of saying that the warning was divine while the urging was just mere human. Sometimes people think they know God's will for our lives. And they tell us in definite terms that we are going in the wrong directions. You, some of us may have experienced that more often than others. They may even express their opinion in their prayers as we listen. You know, they go and they do it in a very spiritual way. They pray for you especially, and you hear it as they pray, you shouldn't do this or that. Have you ever experienced this? It's not easy. Acts 21, 5 to 6 says, When it came about that our days there were ended, we departed and started on our journey while they all with wives and children escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home again. Pressured by all these well-intentioned believers to change his mind about Jerusalem, Paul was probably relieved to be on his way again, you know. If you hear that day after day, you hear the same kind of thing uh, against your inner conviction, you get tired, don't you? It's hard. Pressured by this, Paul was probably relieved to be on his way again, but that relief would not last long, for soon other people would be giving him their opinions as well, and 
we see even a more powerful advice by a prophet named Agabus. Having weighed up anchor in Tyre, Paul's ship sailed, as we read in verse 7 to 8, for Ptolemais and Caesarea. Here the group lodged, as we read in verse 8, the house in the house to Philip the Evangelist. This Philip is, by the way, the same Philip who was on uh, was one of the first seven deacons in Jerusalem and who later preached the gospel to the Samaritans. And we've um, talked about him, the uh, Ethiopian Inuk. Uh, we see the story in Acts um, 6, 8, um, and so on, chapter 6 and 8. Acts 21 again tells us now this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses, and as we were staying there for some days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt, you know, he ripped him I mean, it's amazing, you know. I mean, I wouldn't dare to do that. Belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Wow. He dared to do that. Do you, do you want to rip off my belt? I mean. This is what he did. The prophet gave a, a gripping illustration of Paul's fate, so gripping that everyone present, including Luke, began giving Paul advice. This is it. You shouldn't do it. They saw it in front of them. This is what happens. Dr. Luke and others, you know, not only the, the big prophet, Agabus came, he, uh, Paul himself, and so on, and then Dr. Luke, of course, you know, you need to uh, uh, heed a doctor's advice. How can you go against a doctor's advice? And there were others. Acts 21.12 says, When he had heard this, we as well as the lo local residents began begging him not to go up to, to Jerusalem. It must, have had, it must have been very moving. You know, we saw in Madagascar, I, I will never forget that uh, little girl, you know, we just came out in Anchirabe, south of uh, the capital, Antananarivo, and we just came out of the bus, very comfortable, nice bus, first-class bus, you know, it just fitted us, you know, we are first-class people anyway, sorry. Um, and there was a, there was a, um, a girl, I need some money. And she was Again and again, you know, he was kind of so obtrusive that some of the people 
just said, you know, what is in the world is happening here? Baking. You know, with an urgency. Baking. Baking. The disciples attire that heaped plenty of advice on Paul, but now piling it on even thicker and his closest friends and fellow ministers. Paul was kind of surrounded of people that had a different opinion than he himself, with tears. You know, to underline it, tears came down and begging him, please, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. How can you lead the church in prison, bound by chains? Do not go. Do not go. Really, not a single person said to him, hang in there, Paul. I mean, they were all spiritual people. That's no doubt. You know, you look at the prophet, uh, you look at uh, Dr. Luke and all the others, you obey God's plan for your life, and I will stand with you. You know, you would really expect something like that, because, I mean, he was totally on his own. Nobody really supported this inner uh, at, uh, voice, the pressure to listen to all these People around him must have been, to say the least, very intense. Very intense. You know, I'm sweating already, you know, just uh, thinking of this. But Galatians 1.10, he says, Paul says, if I were trying to please men, I would not be bound a bound servant of Christ. This was fixed in his mind. And um, he could not change his mind just to please these people. So after quieting them, he responded. It's very moving, you know. Because he was kind of imprisoned by all these same opinion against his single-minded opinion. And he says in Acts 21, 13, what are you doing? He must be kind of, he wasn't fed up, but, you know, he was puzzled. What in the world are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready. That was his inner conviction, which was really a strong one, for I'm ready not only to do be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. This was his inner conviction. This is why he could not, by any means, listen to the other People. But were not Paul's friend merely looking out for his safety and the church's well-being? You know, asking that question. Maybe so, but while they were looking out for Paul's good, 
the church's good and their own good, they were forgetting about God's good. And you're often intrigued to be like that. You know, you see things with a very human view. Paul's ministry in Jerusalem would bring the highest glory to God, even if it meant death for the beloved apostle. With a tone of resignation, you know, you give up. It's like telling your kids so many times they should not do this or that. The next time they do the same and you tell them, you know, of course you, you can smack them. But it's very hard to smack your own. And after all, the law says you should not smack your kids. I mean, I have to say so. Otherwise, people would put me in prison today. Um, you know, so I'm not saying you should smack your kids. I, 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 did you hear that? I, I don't want to go to prison, you know. I mean, I don't want to be on the secure side. Even I'm convinced that sometimes that's one way. It may not be the best, but there, there is way. <clears throat> so with a tone of resignation, it, it tells us in, in Acts uh, 21, 14 to uh, 17, since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready and started on our way up to Jerusalem. And some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us, taking us to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. And when we had to come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. They gave up. They did no longer object against Paul's thought. With his arrival in the city of Jerusalem, Paul's third missionary journey comes to a close. In the events to follow the prophecies of his bondage and imprisonment where, uh, will be fulfilled as well as his dream to someday proclaim Christ in Rome. In the end, as we shall see in the chapters to come, Christ will be glorified. Christ will be glorified. Even in a heartbreaking situation as with our lady missionary in South Africa who was buried just days before Christmas. Breaking. I broke our heart because we got to know her. She was a kind of a quiet person, and he would never expect that she has so many enemies, and it was just a couple of miles off the road where we lived in Peter Maritzburg in South Africa. Wasn't a kind of a thousand miles off? It, 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 it's heartbreaking. Now in finishing, let us look at some Enduring principles concerning others' advice. Human advice. Men's advice. By learning from Paul's struggle with the advisors, we can hammer out 
three shields of truth to protect us in this whole uh, realm of giving and receiving counsel. Because we come across these things ever so often in life. So because, you know, I want to be practical. I don't want to, you know, the, the, the Word of God is talking into our, our lives. So first, if you seek advice, my brothers and sisters, be discerning. Sometimes counselors are essentials. Like in sports events, we need the advice of a wiser coach who can see the action in our lives from an objective vintage point. However, be careful. Go to the right sidelines. Get your counsel and advice from those on your team that know you personally. As for you name out... They are unlimited. Call on whenever you need one. One other point, go while the game is still in progress. For example, a man who knows things are not going well in his marriage, but is convinced he can handle it by himself, may discover that when he finally goes to the sidelines of help, the game is over. And we hear that quite often, you know, we men, we think, oh, it's going on and on, and suddenly the marriage is broken. And the men, you know, they're upset, you know, what's happening there, no? The conviction of heart of the woman, she made a decision a long time ago. Time has run out. Second, if you give advice, you advise, you know. You get out advice from outside, but now you're giving advice. Be wise. Be wise. Wise counseling always begins with attentive listening, uh, listening, which is very hard. We want to speak, not listening. It's very hard. And as you know, we are doing um, uh, member care and caring, going alongside. We are not bosses. We are going alongside. We don't confront, but we want to go alongside people. And giving advice, often I find myself more talkative than the one I want to give advice. I'm sorry to say so. But I, I hear that many others experience the same, you know. Talking, talking. And the other one is quiet, you know. He seeks advice and you talk and talk and talk and talk. And the other one is quiet and the advice is a failure. If you give advice, be wise. Try to fit yourself into the other person's shoes and understand your friend's perspective. Then step away and take a look at him or her from God's viewpoint. Of course, in order to know his viewpoint, God's viewpoint, you must be acquainted with his book with the very book we are talking about. You must be acquainted with. If you are not acquainted with its human advice, and it will be certainly a failure, the Bible is in that the greatest source of wisdom. 
When we give Bible-orientated counsel, it will be instructive. When we give experience-centered counsel, it may be nothing more than an opinion. Do you know the difference? You know, this is final. We're, who are we? But this is God's Word. So if you give advice, look, to be advised first in God's Word. It's a big difference, isn't it? Because when you come up with your own thoughts, if it's not filtered through the Word of God, it may be just mere human advice. So, if you give advice, be wise. And third, if you decide against the advice, be careful. In Proverbs 69, and we saw that in, uh, in the beginning of the service already, and I found that very helpful, Proverbs 69, we read, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Sometimes, with the help of an advisor, you make plans to go one direction, when suddenly, maybe because a moral principle is at stake, you sense the Lord leading you, leading you in the opposite way. God is directing your steps according to His Word. And although your actions may be confusing to others, you have to follow Him, the Lord. Think of Paul who resisted the powerful influence of his closest companions in order to walk Christ's narrow road. Remember, he did not make that decision without considering its consequences. He wasn't confused in it. So the consequences we may consider what will happen if we follow that advice? Ask that question. Will taking the smooth path bring as much glory to Christ as taking the rocky way? What does God's Word say will happen if we follow that advice? And lastly, what is the Spirit's inner prompting telling us? The answers of these questions are not always as Margaret thought when she, uh, you know, when we got to know each other, she wanted to have it black on white. Well, sometimes it's not just black on white. Sorry, Margaret. I'm not telling you off, but that's how it is. You know, I, I love her because she's my wife, you know, so I'm, you know, I need to tell that, you know. Oh, well, we are married now for 43 years, so it's quite a, a time already, so we adapt to each other and, and, and so on. But it's not always black and white, you know, to say the least. Determining God's will can be kind of complicated, but through the process, let the Apostle Paul's word of commitment to Christ undergird our thinking, Acts 21:13. I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Then whatever the outcome, you will 
have peace. Are you wrestling with a problem, problem or a rough decision right now? That's my question. Because I'm convinced that God is talking to us in a present tense situation. Are you wrestling with a decision right now? Are you considering seeking advice? If so, let us have closer look on how to do this. May I encourage you to go to the right sidelines. This may sound obvious, but how often do we seek counsel from the wrong team? Bookstore shelves aligned with worldly advice of how to find happiness and pleasing ourselves. Television, radio, they all give a full blast of advice, movies, preaching, that same message. But by listening to these secular counselors, we are sure to miss God's will. If your advisors have come from the world, where can you find godly advisors that listen? May I encourage you to go to the right sideline. Secondly, talk to the coach, not to the, what I would call the water boy. In other words, we may be seeking counsel in the right place, a church, Christian bookstore, a Christian counseling practice, but even still be careful to consult the right person or resource. As you consider your problem or decision, determine who is the person most qualified to advise you in that area. If you are not sure, how can you find which person to consult a book to read? Third, take a time out, you know, get a different perspective. Very practical, you know, if you're in the race kind of thing, you, your mind is just fixed to a certain view, but get a step out. It's like from the plane, you know, when you start the ride, you see everything very close. When, when you are about 10,000 meters high, wow. And of course, you know, a, a clear view, wow. You have a view that's beautiful. You don't see the details, but you get a better view, don't you? So, you know, my advice, get a step out. Take time to step out. In our hurried, be the yellow light way of living, taking time out is difficult. However, without doing so, we will find that knowing God's will is your schedule. Right now, carve out some space in your schedule to pray. Meditate on scriptures and select appropriate counsel. And lastly, ask for advice during the game. Do not put off making decisions or solving the problem because then it becomes overwhelming, you know. When you say, oh, there's time tomorrow, let's put it tomorrow and next week, next month. You know how quick it, it's piling up? Do not put off making decisions. Deal with it now. 
while you can read that book, schedule that appointment, and that time out, your future may depend on it. My friends, you know, need me. How easy it would have been to Paul to kind of rationalize not going to Jerusalem thinking, oh, my friends, they need me. I can preach the gospel better than a free man. As a free man, I think I will stay away from Jerusalem. Do you know that rationalizing? That is so intriguing. Because that's how we were brought up. This is our Greek thought thinking. Rationalizing, you know. Put one and one equals two. Rationalizing. Had he made that decision, no one would have criticized him. Good choice, Paul. They would, you know, say, oh, wow, that's what we thought anyway, after all. Now you've made the right decision. They would have said, good choice, Paul. But had he made that decision, regret and disappointment would have wreaked havoc in his soul. There is a foreigner called Compromise that would have invaded his heart and eaten away, gobbled away his seal for the Lord. He could not allow that to happen. He had to go to Jerusalem. Has a commitment for, to Christ so consumed your spirit that compromise feel like a foreign invader that's intruding in your life? Or rationalizing made compromise a comfortable house guest? You know, you bring him in. Oh, it's so cozy, it's so nice. If so, then remove any self-serving motives in your heart. Resensitize your conscience, I plead with you. It's so easy to bring these foreigners in. But do you listen to the Word of God? I plead with you, if so, renew your passion and to obey Christ, regardless of the consequences. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this invaluable story of Paul, his life, obeying your call, even knowing about the consequences. And Lord Jesus, you know each one of us, and even our listeners somewhere in the globe, in the world, outside, you know their lives, we acknowledge that your word is talking into our lives. So we ask for your guidance, even to each and every one of us, as we seek your guidance. Help us to listen carefully. And even if prompted otherwise, to Follow in your footsteps with passion, with compassion, 
to follow even with the consequences. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping us in this as we are longing to see your story, your, you making history in our lives. We thank you for the time together and thank you for the things that you communicated to the hearts of all of us. Thank you that you are doing it patiently, that you are helping us even if we are weak. You're strengthening us. Thank you that we can fix our eyes on you as we make decisions for the things in the future. Thank you for being with us in the days to come to follow in your footsteps, to follow Christ. Thank you for your presence, for your peace and your shalom. We praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.